Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than arguing over Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter. My name's Ash Rose, your host, your guide, you know all that, as usual. And this is the original 1990s football podcast. And joining me to clink those glasses, as always, is Mr Ed Chambers of the Football Tavern. Ed, how you doing, sir? I am very well, Ashley. Uh, I well, I'm a year older since I uh, since I last spoke to you. Happy birthday uh, to yes. the landlord! Yes, thank you. I am now four zero. Which, um, yeah, I know. Um, I don't feel any different to what I did last week. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, I was an old git last week and an old <laughs> git this week. And, in, fairness, um, in fairness, Ed, some part of you have been an old git since I've known you. So uh, oh, without oh, without doubt, I was I was born. Uh, a, a 25 year old i think i was a i was an old man before i started um so i'm quite looking for i'm one of those people i think that's looking forward to the day where i could put on a pair of slippers and have a pipe and yeah. all that sort of uh you I know what well, well, a pipe was to my daughter the other day because yeah you don't would, really... and i thought well yeah why would she know what a pipe was yeah. But, yeah. you don't really you don't really see you don't really see them anymore do you i no. i can remember as a kid sort of going into like sort of bars and social clubs and stuff with my dad you know like tagging along and you remember seeing like all the old boys they all used to smoke pipes pipes and stuff but you know, i suppose you don't go outside a pub now to smoke a pipe yeah, do you? Yeah, it's all, exactly. it's all very that, that be, what, keep it 60s keep pipe? it 60s yeah probably <laughs> yeah not from our generation um have you had a good week did you enjoy um valentine's day did you share your love for anything other than nice uh, uh well no <laughs> um I'm, I, I don't know i call it clinton cards day because it's just making people yeah. celebrate a day where they don't need to yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what I call it. Funny enough, um, along those lines, because um, uh, it's yeah, it's it's a day to keep florists and card shops in um, exactly. in 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 the economy. Really, I think. Um, thankfully, my uh, my lovely wife uh, thinks bro- broadly similar and is not yeah, bothered by Valentine's Day. Well, um, I don't think actually. Thank you for mentioning. I didn't even get a card. So yeah. there you go. No, um, I just don't. Uh, Valentine's Day just doesn't bother me. It never has done, um, to be perfectly honest. Um, but I did notice yeah, that you, <laughs> you Ashley Rose, put up on Twitter a video of yeah. why you love the nineties. And this is how much I don't give a monkey's about Valentine's Day. I didn't even notice until this morning that you put it up there on Valentine's Day. Yeah, I, I mean, just I didn't, didn't even. I didn't say Valentine's Day. I wasn't making it like completely. No, but, but yeah, but it obviously you did it for that. Yeah, that I reason. Um, That's why I thought yeah. about Valentine's Day. That says it yeah. all about me, my poor wife. <laughs> yeah, honestly, they they just don't know how lucky they are. Our they wives, don't, they don't. Um, to be honest. Yeah, but then, um, the trouble is when you make a video like that. And yeah. I, I had the idea, and then I was like, "Oh no, I won't do it." Then I started it, and then you start yeah. a cold sweat panic that you might forget something, and then some yeah. person yeah on twitter might say what about this and what yeah about that? like you have two yeah. minutes 20 to play with in those sort of videos i think i don't know if twitter have changed that yet because it keeps yeah. changing and i don't know all the new rules and stuff yeah um, i must i must say actually i forwarded it via whatsapp to three friends of mine yeah. who you know are through okay. over the years going out in the pubs and stuff and to a man all three of them responded going that's really good but he had to shoehorn that Trevor Sinclair goal in there right at the end, didn't he? Right. And it was like, yeah, he did. And um, so, yeah. Um, but no, it was really, I, I I watched it. It was like a good like, two-minute watch. I really enjoyed it, actually. Yeah. Um, my my favourite quote on it was somebody who tried to point out that the Simple Minds Alive and Kicking song was from 1985. 
completely missing the point of what <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so that that bloke's not listening to the show yeah, on a regular basis <laughs> and, uh, yeah and um has, didn't didn't remember the advert either so yeah well, Which we, somebody we, else we, kindly did point out to him yeah we we, we all know what you we all know what you meant but yeah it did come out um 85, come out 85 yeah so uh there you go well i didn't so, know yeah. about it until 1992 anyway which we will talk about in a minute but um, yes I did, I did think that there was one thing i completely did forget to i had it on my desktop and i didn't include it which was yeah. dream team like one of my tape favorite shows oh right yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. on that basis i have made a sequel whether it'll see the light of day i don't know yeah. i i have um i have a bit of a confession to make being a 90s um lover that i am the whole dream team thing kind of passed me by yeah. a little bit. I remember watching a few episodes of it <clears throat> in later years, but I, I don't, I, I see people on Twitter all the time, you know, like with a posted pictures of the kit and stuff. And I don't, I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember. It was a very um, late nineties thing. <clears throat> yeah. I seem yeah, to recall early, early 2000s. Yeah. I yeah. think the first series started late 98, if I remember. Right. Oh, right. Um, okay on sky one and it was on like a tuesday and thursday i think mm -hmm. I'll have to go back and check our episode in the archive yeah. when i did my more research but yeah, yeah i think also that was kind of still the early days of sky as well like if you know right. i think a lot of it wasn't common practice that everyone had sky until i think maybe going into the new decades and maybe yeah. it's not revealed as you know as many others because some people maybe didn't watch it at that point um, yeah was ron atkinson in it or did i make that up no the first he was the first, he was officially on screen the first manager of harchester united right so okay the first two at least the first episode he gets sacked after they go on a bad run so oh right obviously. the customary yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, he, he, he went dean on there to... is also in that first series as well dean sturridge yeah really yeah wow um is he remembered more for that than his time in the Premier League? I don't probably. know. Oh, yeah. um, probably. But, he did. Yeah. Oh, I keep your idea on loan for very briefly. Oh, of course. Of course, of course, of course we did. <laughs> my, as I said before, also my favourite game it, still now in life is that when me and my wife are watching some ITV, BBC drama, someone from Dream Team will pop up and I'll get like this look on my face and uh, my wife just goes, Dream Team? I'm like, yeah, no, it's the <laughs> <laughs> Because they didn't really appear. Usually the route was soaps. Usually, like, obviously the famous ones, Alison King, who played Linda Block and then went on to be in Corrie. Yeah. Uh, as Carla? Yeah, Carla. Um, Carla, yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, that's uh, not Luis Rodriguez, though, who's not actually Spanish. He was on this podcast going to the archives. But I've just seen our guest enter the room, Ed. So that's... Um, wow. This isn't Here a dream. Is. Episode. We've done that. All, and I could do another one. So, yeah, let's do that. Say that for another day. Um, we're, set, we're talking today about the year 1992, um, which is over 30 years ago, which is scary stuff, which we always yeah, thanks about. for that. Uh, and there is a reason <laughs> for this, which we'll get to in a second. Um, so yeah, 1992. Uh, does that can I feel old today, Ed? I think probably. Well, I mean, I've already said that I'm an old man from, yeah, from birth, so it, it, it makes no difference to me. <laughs> okay, well, let's get cracking. There's obviously a very eventful year, um, and it'll come to light why we're talking about this in a minute. So, um, let's welcome our guest onto the show after this. Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. 
Welcome back to Alive and Kicking, and we have time travelled back to a particular year on today's show. Um, we were talking about the 90s, but today we're sitting in 1992. There's a reason for that, which we'll get to in a minute, but let me welcome our guest to the show. His author, Rob Fletcher. Rob, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Hi, Ash. Hi, Ed. I've been listening to the podcast for a while, so it's uh, nice to be on the other side, I think. See how it goes. Oh, welcome, mate. Welcome to the madness. Welcome to the madness. And uh, we, as we were saying in the intro, 1992 over 30 years ago. So we're feeling quite comfortably in our pipe and slippers uh, at the moment, which is nothing wrong with that. That's where exactly uh, where we want to be. Uh, before we talk about your book, Rob, you're a Borough fan. And as we just alluded to in the preamble, a very happy Borough fan at the moment. But let's do your football CV as we always do when we get new people on. Uh, so, I mean, this must be the obvious one because we've talked about this guy, but you may not choose him, but favourite Borough player of the 90s. It must be the only one, surely. <laughs> There's only one, yeah. Phil Whelan. What an actor. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, Janino for any Borough fan, I think, of my generation. So I started supporting Borough. I started going to games in 92, 93, and then I, I started to support Borough when Robson arrived in 94. So that was kind of when the obsession began. And then really, hearing about Janino, you, you had no clue who he was. Really had absolutely yeah. no mm. idea who he was. I didn't. I don't think at the time I'd seen him in the Umbro Cup, I think the season before, because you know, I wasn't really that bothered at seven, eight years old about who was playing the Umbro Cup. But then when Janino arrives at the club, it just took us to a different level. And then obviously opened the door to a load of other players coming to play for us. And that 90s period for the Borough, even going into the 2000s, I don't think we'll ever get sort of a decade like that ever again. It was, it was pretty incredible, to be honest. That Janino unveiling is always one of those I remember. Like, Joel was a long-time friend of the show. Like, kids were taking days off school. They were, like, samba dancers. And, like, it was the likes of Borough had never seen, wasn't it? Yeah, it was strange because, you know, we're not a huge town. We're not got a massive football team. We didn't have a lot of history in terms of being in the first division over a long period of time. Then all of a sudden, we're on, on national news, we're on local news because we signed the Brazilian Player of the Year to a new stadium and everything like that. And I think we're probably one of the clubs that really benefited from that change in the Premier League era where more money was coming into it. We got a new stadium. All of a sudden, we became quite attractive because we started to play pay absolutely enormous wages. So why wouldn't you want to come and play for Middlesbrough when we're paying 30, 40, 50, 60,000 pounds a week over that period of time, which is it's crazy thinking back that we were one of the first clubs to start doing that. Ed Janino, that's all I need to say, isn't it? It's like when people say that's the tweet, I can say that's the <laughs> sentence, can't I? Yeah, <laughs> that's not too much I can add on Janino, really. It it does still blow my mind that uh, a player of that quality um, seemed to the the Middlesbrough basically evaded all the all the other clubs and basically nipped him for Janino. I think the story is that they actually Steve Gibson and Brian Robson actually travelled to Brazil to yeah. actually meet Darcy. with him and his family yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that's the case, and and that's obviously why he chose Borough. They obviously had that that sort of personal touch, and to be honest with you, Steve Gibson and Brian Robson are probably two good two good men to to actually work for. So um, so yeah, Tanino, what a what a boy, eh? It's just yeah, I I well, we've, we've talked about him lots of this. I just love the guy, the little man. He's he's very. I don't, I know he went to play on for Middlesbrough in the two thousands as well, win a trophy, but he's one of those as well. Like I feel we just the nineties bubble just sent us around players like Janino and he was of that era with King Clancy and then Zola came in nice guys so great with their feet and stuff yeah love 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 a playmaker a playmaker yeah yeah I I imagine Middlesbrough was there was no FFP at that point was there so I I think Middlesbrough would have been playing with fire at that (laughs) yeah (laughs) I've never thought that before but yeah um 
outside of the borough then, Rob, who who was your player of the 90s? Um, my player of the 90s, I love Roy Keane. Ooh, I okay. absolutely love Roy Keane. I just think when I first started getting into football in the early 90s, watching the Premier League, watching United dominate, obviously Canton I was incredible, but Roy Keane, I feel like just summed up that era really well because he felt like quite a modern player as well. He was good on the yeah. ball. He was a lot different to sort of the usual destroyers that were in there, sort of wearing number four, just hacking everybody to pieces. He was someone who, when it, especially when you start watching the Champions League and United started to get a little bit further, you realise that actually he was as good as some of these other teams' players who always felt like they were way above anything that we saw in the Premier League for teams like Juventus or Dortmund or Milan. I feel like Keane was someone who kind of came to be synonymous with United improving as that went on, and he improved and obviously became captain. And I think that, yeah, Roy Keane's definitely the one. It's, it's, it's hard to remember him at Forest, and I always think of those pictures of him as a young kid at Forest and how good he was in that, you know, that Forest team that obviously got relegated in the end in that first season. But it, it goes so far back, doesn't it, Roy Keane? And I know you're a big appreciator of Roy Keane, Ed, and, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, he's a... He, I mean, what can we say about that man that hasn't been said um, already, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, um, you know, Roy, Roy Keane was just a fabulous, fabulous footballer. He's, he's actually one of the best footballers I've ever seen play live, without doubt. I remember seeing him in one game and he's he's blocking a shot at the edge of the box and then suddenly he's down the other end having a shot. And you're like, well, how, how, did, how does he get from one end to the other that quickly he was you know obviously a tough tackler and all that sort of stuff we know all that but people forget you know he's a, a good good player and and you know he could finish as well you know one-on-one -on -one with a keeper you know he would often often slot him in and you know he he was very very good at forest as well um you know and they they lost a they lost a gem when when he when he left but obviously he had to leave because of the, the relegation and stuff but uh, yeah what a man yeah and I, do you know what i used to have a real like he used to annoy me as a pundit, but then I kind of got what he was. Like I used to think he, he was pretty much a gimmick. Like, I used to think yeah. oh, you're angry man Keane. And then I kind of realised that no, no, he's just an angry man. And I think he has softened and kind of played up to that. And his relationship with Mika Richards, I always find a, a joy to watch on, on TV. So I do, I think I've got a new yeah. appreciation. For there's, there's definitely, there's definitely a sense of humour. Yes. In there, Very you know, which doesn't come out. Yeah. And, and actually I quite, I quite like, Certain things I like about Roy Keane is like his, his his work ethic that he sort of says things like you know he 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 didn't go to he didn't go to work at Manchester United to be everybody's best friend he went to work to do a job yeah and and come away with the trophies and the success that he did and I think that's a you know it's a decent attitude for a footballer to for a footballer to have um you know maybe he was a bit too focused at the times but you know he, he was um, I mean he's he's a, he's a winner so that's a great choice Rob. I think he's an interesting player in the terms of the transition of the 90s. So when he arrived at United, there's still that big sort of, still had a bit of a drinking culture yeah. that he mm. was part of as well in the social element. And then when the class of 92 come through and they're very much, you know, we're focused on playing, we love the club, we want to be the, the best team out there. He then kind of shapes them and almost directs them away from that and himself away from that. And he becomes this ultra-focused footballer and then a captain leader. I just think, imagine you had him in your dressing room yeah. Whatever you thought about any of the opposition players, if he's standing there wearing the captain's armband, you probably know you're going to do all right. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Player. Even even now, when when a player a player does something terrible on either on the pitch or off the pitch, you always think. Imagine you often hear him say, "Imagine if Roy Keane was in that dressing room." That's that's like the the sort of go to thing, isn't it? Yeah. And you you realise that Keane would probably 
kick whoever it was up the arse, basically. Yeah. He's the sort of character that the current QPR team would love, would is crying <laughs> out because I mean, they cried out for a lot, bless them, but yeah, you know, like, leaders, like t- talkers, there's no talkers or leaders in in that it's very it, that's the one of the major problems with it and as we said before we logged on rob we we've got to play middlesbrough on saturday which will be an annihilation in the in the wake of the uh, the five nil we gave you in 1998 as we were talking about um anyway we're not here to talk about modern qpr or modern football that's talk about 1992 and rob you i love using this phrase you've literally written the book on the year tell us uh about why and how and where we can get this uh this book on what, as we will discuss, is obviously an era-defying year in, in 90s football. Yeah, I think I've become interested. I've always written and I've always written about football. I've mainly written about Middlesbrough. Um, during lockdown, I'd set up a, a sort of a, a long-form fanzine, if you like, with lots of articles about Borough's past. So I started to do a bit more writing, started to get drawn into the 90s. I actually wrote an article about 92-93 in that. Yeah. Like Borough's story and how we went through it. We had Lenny Lawrence. We were very much like an, an old first division team that had arrived in the Premier League. John Hendry, Paul Wilkinson, yeah. Robbie Mustard, those kinds of soft, typical English players, to, to use the phrase. And I started to get interested a little bit more. Obviously, my football education, my teenage years, my pr- end of my primary and teenage years were all about the 90s. So I knew things that had happened. And the more that you read about things, you more sort of you look back and you start reading other books and watching TV shows. And I was, we all know that, you know, there's that joke on TV, well, football was around before 1992 and all this sort of stuff. And I was thinking, well, do you know what? There's loads of things been written about 92, but nothing's ever sort of brought it together. So I thought, well, that'd be quite a good idea or, or something to look at to sort of bring in all these different threads that come in with that. So, you know, as people do in the social media days, I set up a Twitter account <laughs> about 1992 and yeah. then didn't write anything for 12 months. And I was like, right, okay, actually... <laughs> These tweets are not actually going to write a book, so yeah. I should actually probably start writing it. I'd, I'd spoke to a few other people and sort of tried to get a little bit of adv- advice. And they basically said, if you want to write a book, Rob, you need to sit at a computer and actually write a book. You can't yeah. just tweet about it and find nice pictures. You've got to look into it and find it. So I pitched it to Pitch Publishing. Um, and luckily enough, they said, yes, that sounds like a really interesting story. So I went for it, really. So I called it 1992, The Birth of Modern Football. Yeah. And I didn't think it was a massively controversial title because really it's kind of accepted that around 92 was when sort of um, records start changing in inverted commas, whether we like that or not. So looking at all the different things that actually happened in that year and sort of trying to dig in a little bit deeper and find out what actually happened in 92 to start the ball rolling. And basically what you find is everything was about commercialization and television exposure. So most of the activities that actually happened around that time were around the commercialization of football, realizing that people enjoy it. I mean, the fact that it took them, you know, however many years to realize that people actually like watching football is pretty crazy. And then obviously being able to monetize that and take that a little bit further. So what I try to do is tell it through different things that were happening. So the structure of the book, sort of each chapter focuses on something different. But obviously, there is a thread that runs through it that basically is about that commercialization element. Did you? Um, did you? Sorry, Ash. I was just going to say, did you find it hard, Rob, to to write a book thirty years after the event? And in terms of the fact that you're, you're writing it through, essentially, you're a, you're a child, so your your memories 
um, may have differ slightly, like, you know, could have differed um, quite a lot actually from from perhaps um, what actually happened at the time. Did you find that? Did you find that bit difficult? Yeah, I mean, my my memories of that era of football is wearing an England shell suit, right? <laughs> having an Arsenal home shirt, right? And a Rangers home shirt and kicking a ball around. That that's literally all. I, remember. I can't remember Italian ninety at all. So I was born in eighty five. So I was like five when Italian ninety came around. I can't yeah. even remember it being on the TV. My right. memories of that time was when I went to a Borough match and asked my dad, why is nobody commentating on the game? That was like my mindset of, hang yeah. on a minute, where is yeah. the... No, it makes sense, yeah. Who the players are, because yeah. I, I don't know who number nine is. Yeah. I don't know who yeah. number seven is, because obviously there's no squad numbers, squad it's numbers. just yeah. numbers on a page. So what I did was, to try and overcome that, I basically went on eBay and mined all the magazines I could find. Yeah. In 91, 92, 93, so I bought all the World Soccer's, 90 minutes, uh, when Saturday comes, shoot, match. That just sounds like fun anyway. I mean, I, writing a book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, t- the typing bit is the annoying part. Reading yeah. all these old magazines <laughs> is the best bit. So I was looking at sort of old letters pages, different columns from different writers to try and get my head into what it was like around that time. And a mm. lot of it was around, I think, World Soccer. I think it was Brian Glanville who said he was calling it the Greed is Good League. He wouldn't right. call it the Premier League. So all that build-up was, the greed is good league are doing this. The greed is good league is doing that. And he was very much, it's just a rebadge first division. We've got yeah. bigger problems in England than the name of our league. So once you get into that mindset and then you start thinking, well, what was going on in Italy? Well, actually, Italy was spending lots and lots of money buying the best technical footballs they could find. You know, FIFA was and UEFA were saying, right, how can we make this game stop being about players passing back to a goalkeeper. Yeah. How can we make it look better to people probably like me, who are seven and eight, who realise if we can get this generation into football, there's another 30 years worth of fandom, if you like. So that was probably the big one. And then looking at books and trying to buy books from the time. So one of the best books that I found, I think it was called, I've got it on my shelf, Ferguson, Six Years at United. <laughs> oh, it's just brilliant. But it's Alex Ferguson basically writing about his first six years at United, slagging off everybody else. Yeah. Saying he hasn't bought the trophies that he's won and how that his United team are going to be basically set for the next five years because of what he did was basically, I think it was one stat where he said there was five players over the age of 30 in the club by the end of the 91-92 season. Mm. And now we talk about Ferguson, you know, he, he got a lot of luck with the class of 92, but it was actually a lot of it was by design in terms of what he built. Yeah. So it was then trying to pull that in and feed that in and bring in some of the modern elements that we know, football wall-to-wall on TV, transfer windows. Remember, we didn't have transfer windows yeah. until March. Yeah, It was right. just constantly, every week was different transfer rumours. So it was trying to sort of then th- make different threads that would then lead us through the book. Yeah, I, I'm just sitting here thinking that wonder what Brian Glenville would make now of the the greed is good league with yeah. the, the super league looming large well, in the background. From, from Theo Delaney, friend of the show, he's the bard yeah. of football, isn't it? So yeah, he always talks about Brian Glenville. But I always yeah. thought 1992 was almost the complete rebound of Italian '90. It's like they it took them two years after the success after England's. <clears throat> After coming home, you know, they always say that changed the mindset after the dark days of the 80s. And I think 1992 was that first spark of 
almost what came out of Italia 90. And it took them two years to get there. I know the Premier League was already bubbling under in that, in that even before Italia 90. But that's what I always feel like. And then it almost felt like it was an explosion. And I think age has a lot to do with that. And we'll talk about this as we go through. And I think I, my own personal, I think 1992, I can remember a lot more and things that we'll pick out. Um, but just on the surface, but you know, I'm not going to spoil the book by going through every bit, bit and point. We'll just talk about as, what we all said in a minute. But you know, the first Premier League, the Champions League, you know, how Euro '92 changed things. There's so many different plot points to what we watch now. They all started in 1992, and it's it's a it's a it was really, as you say, the birth of modern era, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think what's quite interesting is because I thought I want to write about Denmark because that's an amazing yeah. story. It's a very small tournament. I think that we don't realise how small t- the European tournaments used to be back then. And I also think, well, how how does Denmark fit into bringing about a change in modern football? Well, a lot of the back pass rule, although it was sort of coming in at that point, they used it to really good effect tactically in all of those games. And also the breakup of that Yugoslavia team. So coming from sort of 87 with the under-21s, their team, yeah. I mean... If I if you if we us three named the players that were part of that squad, people but no 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 he must have been from ninety eight eighty nine he must have been from that no 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 this group of players were all together at the same time and I think that is a, quite a sliding doors moment for how the nineties is shaped in terms of international football because they weren't there they probably would have won it yeah because their squad was incredible mm. obviously they've been at Italian ninety and done really well but the fact that that then changed in terms of the makeup of the European Union. Yeah, we think half they, that Croatia squad at '96 that we all yeah. remember much. You know, Davos Suku is one of my favourite players. I've said, yeah, and a lot of that changes player movement. Yeah, completely. So because you know, all of that starts to to change how that works in terms of, you know, they call it the three foreigners rule. Yeah, you know, it's crazy to think now that <laughs> there was a, there's an article in World Soccer and, and they were talking about. Manchester United and English clubs would be ruined because they yeah. had six or seven non-English players in their sort of 14-man squad yeah. and it was just going to ruin the game. I mean, obviously, for once, UEFA thought, hang on a minute, this does seem a little bit stupid. But it's those sorts of things that sort of drip feed into what we have now. And one of the things I didn't actually touch on was sort of the Bosman transfer and how that sort of started to change because at this point, it's still huge, huge sums of money. Like even then, Lentini went for 13, 14 million mm. in that summer. Premier League teams still pay that now. Yeah. Their yeah. first team players. This was 31 years ago that yeah. and we're paying this amount. The on that would be we did Chris Sutton last time out, didn't we? And he was. And that was yeah, Chris fun. Sutton was. Uh, they did that inflation on Chris Sutton for 5 million. And he, he would transpire today that he'd be worth 101 million pounds. <laughs> Uh, you think that's and even that was that was after Lentini as well. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So Lentini would have been worth an absolute fortune yeah, back in the day, Neymar, wouldn't he? I think. So. Yeah. Um, I don't want to spoil the book, so it's obviously available all good bookstores, and we'll give it a plug at the end. But I thought what we do on today's while we're talking about 1992, we've each picked kind of a high and a low from 1992, and we'll just have a little brief chat. Uh, about those which are probably included in the book, but you don't have to give too much away, Mr. Fletcher. It's fine. Um, Ed, do you want to kick us off then with what's your high of 1992? 
Uh, my high of nineteen ninety two. Do you mean apart from the fact that Gladiators premiered on TV in nineteen ninety two? Which, Googling, which uh, thank you. Which um, I wasn't doing it as Rob was talking. I promise. <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, but it, I mean that changed our uh, that changed our Saturday nights, uh, our Saturday night TV Rob, viewing. Yeah, uh, as, as, a football link. Yep, as as uh, as kids, yeah, and to see a, a current footballer on the TV. As a presenter was a bit odd as well back then, a bit of an oddity um, for us at our age. But no, I think I am maybe one of a very, very small band of people that really enjoyed the Euros. I know we've just touched upon it. Um, I loved Euro 92. I think the reason I love it is that I remember Italian 90 and I watched a lot of Italian 90. But by the time Euro 92 came around, I was, I was older, obviously, and I understood a lot more about how the group stages works and how it affected England and how it affected other teams throughout the tournament. Some of the players on show were just fantastic as well. But also the fact that it was so small, so compact, there were eight teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we've already touched on the Yugoslavia Denmark situation and and you know I'll always throw in there that Ireland are the ninth team because Ireland should have been there as well because they were a very good team. Um, and just happened to be in the same group as as England in qualifying. And, you know, but today's Euros, as much as I enjoyed the last tournament, the fact that England got to the final, it feels very, very long with 24 teams, I think it is now, maybe even more. Um, and I just feel that that Euros, there was a lot of quality on the show, but it was it was also, to, to you know, use, you know, Rob's, Rob's book as the benchmark, it was the, the almost the closing of the old and the bringing yeah. in of the new. Um, logo. Yeah, especially with the especially with the, the back pass back pass rule coming into the new season and all that all that sort of stuff. So so yeah, I mean finding out that Stuart Pierce, you know, wasn't as hard as I thought he was when Basil Bali knotted him one. Um that's another... Basil Bali's a unit. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I remember speaking of magazines actually, I remember like Rob was saying about magazines. I remember um do you remember ninety minutes magazine? And yeah. they did um they did this there was all these jokey cartoons sketch and there was they did one six months later where it had um uh bolly um sort of tied up on a on a rail lo- railway line with a train hurtling towards him and sort of Stuart Pierce sort of like sort of standing over him saying you're you're getting what you deserve or something along those lines. So yep, yeah, Euro ninety two is my it's my joyous moment actually. Right. I think we always call that on here that the tournament, the, the forgotten tournament. Sorry, right? It, yeah, because we, you're right. It doesn't get spoken about. I think because it was so compact, there was only a few teams involved. Um, England's performance, which we'll get onto in a second, but I, I, yeah, I, there are. It's almost and it, it's a, a change because I said the logo there. Like I think they had the same logo for the last three Euros before that, and even the mascot, the rabbit. I think that was his yeah. third outing that he had. You know, <laughs> things. And you're right, Rob. This feeds into commercialization because by Euro '96. There were this, you know, the football logo that we all love so much that came in. There was a new mascot, and every tournament was com- was so completely different from the last, which I love. But I, I feel like the years before that, they all kind of followed a little trail, the same kind of branding and things like that. But they really did change that as well. Um, but no, I, I, yeah, there are little things from Euro '92 that I love. Um, it's the first. I've told this story before, but it's first. I remember the sticker album really vividly. Like I collected the pro set cards before that but my first real sticker album was the euro 92 sticker album and i remember going to my dad on a saturday when my mum and my sisters would go shopping or go and see their friends we'd just go to the news agents buy like 10 packets of stickers which in those days felt like a dream 
and then just go for and this how you learn the players and you know, and all that so I, I always remember that in year eight too and We'll talk about English performance in a minute, but yeah, I mean, what are your memories, um, Rob, of, of Euro night and what and what you wrote about in the book? Yeah, well, it was interesting looking back on it because it's quite a strange tournament in the fact that it does feel very, very subdued as a whole tournament because football was focused on it, but a lot of the reporting about England and around England was so negative in that period of time. Yeah. It's very, very interesting how quickly things changed after Italian ninety. Now. The fact that we were against some good teams, Germany had a great team, Holland had a great team, France had a great squad, and they'd come in unbeaten, if I remember rightly, but just kind of bombed in the tournament completely. But it doesn't feel like everyone was looking at the stars like they do now. Even, like you say, things like advertising and branding, it wasn't, we've got Van Basten, we've got Klinsman, we've got Gary Lineker. It was, we've got these eight teams, and we're going to another country in Europe, and we're going to have a little tournament, and at the end, someone's going to win. And I think even because Denmark win it, it totally changes your viewpoint. The following two tournaments are USA 94 and Euro 96. I'm not sure you could get two tournaments more far removed from yeah. 1992 than those two tournaments, which I think kind of sums up how football was looking at itself in terms of the modern era, in terms of the branding and everything that went along with it. Because really, for better or worse, the Americans did change it quite a lot with that tournament. And I think a lot of it, comes from that sort of Euro 92 small feel to it. Mm. Well, it had some, it definitely had some memorable moments, though. You think of the Darling, Broly and Darling, mm. the, the commentary, Barry Davis's famous commentary and stuff. And, and that's kind of my low point as well of this. I haven't done my high, but I can, I'll feed this into it because, firstly, England's performance, because, you know, I was getting, as we say, we were getting into it there. You were understanding. I remember England mm. Gary Lindicus scoring that goal against Poland and me running around my living room going, we've qualified for the Euros. I kind of, I knew what things meant by this point. And England weren't very good. And, you know, it was the tailored transitional period. I really wanted them to be good because Andy Sinton was in the squad. And even at that age, you feel like the dad of your Sunday league little footballer that, you know, a QPR player has made the England squad. And you really wanted Andy Sinton to do very well. And we didn't hear hardly played in the tournament, but England's performance and, and the Gary Lineker thing, like, I loved Gary Lineker was one of my first heroes as a kid because he was the England striker. He was the number 10. He was the man that scored all the goals. And I really wanted him to break that goal scoring record. So to see him firstly miss against Brazil in that warm up game we had prior to the tournament, that stupid penalty that I don't know what ever went through Gary Lineker's mind that he, just, that uh, he tried to do Penenka to the equal uh, goal scoring record. I think if he could take that back, he would. Oh, yeah. Like showboating was not part of his. Record. No. So I don't understand whatever went through his mind, and then obviously he ended it in Sweden with uh, against Sweden when he when Grand Taylor bought him off. So I remember feeling that was Italian ninety. I hate I like England went out. I cried, but I was so young. I kind of didn't understand really. Yes, I think, but that was the first time that England hurt me, and I was like, okay, here's. A, I didn't know then it was a lifetime of never seeing them win a tournament, and I still believe we won't because we've come as close as we're ever going to get now. But that's that's for another podcast. But, that that yeah. Linicum that Linicum moment, Ash was. Shock him, wouldn't it? Even as like a what were we nine, ten? It was, it was. You kind of even then I was like, he's taking off Gary Lineker, like the captain, the main goal scorer, and this is his last game. And he like, you know, it was could just couldn't believe it really yeah. at the time. And and you know when you look back, he put on Alan Smith. Yeah, like. I mean I think he gets a bit of a bad rap. I and mean, he wasn't Gary Lineker, but he was top scorer in the first division. I don't think was it that season or the season. That was the year, the year, be the year before. But he, you know, it was true. But I mean, it was, was what, it was weird. Yeah, cheer on the bench. Yeah, 
but it also yeah. left Ian Wright at home. I mean, we've done this before, but it just <laughs> we've <it> was, been <laughs> it was it was like you could do a whole podcast just based on Gray and Taylor. Um, per, to be perfectly honest, but yeah, it it was such a strange tournament for England. But I enjoyed seeing the rest of the teams, and you know, it was, it, back then you didn't you didn't know as much about the players. You know, I I suddenly thought that Thomas Hassler was the best footballer in the world because he scored a free kick. You know, and he and then he did it again later on in the tournament. I think so. That's what I enjoyed about Euro '92. Yeah. No. Okay, Rob, give us your high of uh, of '92. I bet it was harder for you to pick, seeing as you've engrossed yourself in that year. Yeah. Yeah, mine was television related, but it wasn't the Gladiators, unfortunately. Mine oh. was um, mine was Football Italia coming to Channel Four. Oh. Yeah. Because I mean, for for me and a lot of people of a certain age, that is your gateway drug into football. Yeah. Yes, the Premier League start at the same time, but. I didn't have a Skybox. We didn't get Sky for a long, long time. But we had Football Italia every weekend. My Sundays literally were Formula One, a Sunday roast, <laughs> and a Football Italia game on a Sunday afternoon. That's that good. was literally the holy trinity. But the fact that I wasn't watching Robbie Musto anymore, no disrespect Robbie Musto, or John Hendry and Paul, I was watching Marco Van Basten. Mm. I was watching Rude Hullet. I was watching... David Platt. I was watching all these players who, Roberto Baggio, do you know what? You could just sit here and name players for an hour and everyone would be like, yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, they were great. But it wasn't just that. It was was the map of Italy. It was the stadiums. It was the way the shows were presented. It was the commentary sounded different. It didn't sound like BBC or ITV. And there were some amazing commentators on BBC and ITV, but it just sounded different. And it all added to sort of that exotic feel of this is not normal football. Maybe there is more outside of these shores than what we're watching right now. And I think the football kits, just everything about it just brought you in. And for years and years and years, you were just addicted to that Saturday morning, 10 o'clock, Gazetta Football Italia. You watch more goals than you knew what to do with. You learn about all these players. Obviously, in the early days, they were performing all these skits with Gaza and Platt cooking in his... Lombardo dancing, yeah. dancing, Bialy looking totally confused, but thinking this might be okay, this sort of stuff. <laughs> and I just think that that was what a time to be a football fan that we had. You'd think 92 when it came on TV, it'd been on Sky before, but we'd never had anything like this. And I know when I was looking for, uh, when I was researching it, I think when it might have been when Saturday Comes had a front cover with Frank Rijkaard on. I think the Premier League deal was about 300 million for four years, or 305 million for four years, and Channel 4 were paying 1.2 million a year for wow. their Serie A coverage, which, considering that's where the whole greed is good league thing started to come in, they're watching all of this stuff, and yet we're watching all of you know what we got access to. But that still, still now, you know, still now it it, it really resonates as a, a massive turning point in my life as a football fan. They really captured something there. I mean, I, I did when I did the original Live and Kicking book, I researched, you know, how it all came about and how Jane Richardson almost by accident became mm. presenter of, of Gazette Los Angeles Sport as well. But it was just, they catched something very much in the zeitgeist of kids wanting to know more about football. Like Italian 90 was the time and then we got open to this other leagues and we saw more football and Gaza going to Italy, to Lazio, which I think was kind of the tipping point for Channel 4 because they wanted to see they wanted to give people more of Gaza. It was a great call, a great idea to, to feed them because Gaza was so popular. But I don't think they ever could really thought 
what a cultural change they'd make in our lives with this show that we're still here 30 years talking about it. No one's covered it like that since. And I think, Ed, we've said on the show, like, we're surprised there's not been some sort of revamp with James Richardson. Seeing as BT Sport have got him as well. Yeah. He does the goal show, doesn't he, on there, of Italian football, done in the same way, but slightly different for a modern audience. Okay, well, that, you know, Football Italian, we could we talk, we talk could talk about all day, um, and we have done, so listen to that. Um, Rob, what, give us a low point from not year in '92. I mean, I think I'll finish on my high, so we're not going to go home a bit sad. So, that what would what don't you or did you was disappointed by in that year? I think there's a couple of things, and I think we've touched on it before about nineteen uh, Euro '92. Sorry, is Gary Lineker not playing in the Premier League? Yeah, true. Now yeah. I know that's kind of a, you know is that a low point or not? But I feel like he was someone who was synonymous with the first division, then went to play for Barcelona, came back to Spurs and scored all kinds of goals, was captain of England. And I just think what a shame that we didn't have him as a really big draw, you know, in those early Premier League days. He would have been on all the, all the, um, the billboards. He would have been in that first advert probably. Totally, yeah. he, he probably wouldn't have retired from England duty. So we might have seen him up front with Shearer for a little bit longer maybe. And even if he had, think about what we know now about players who've retired from England duty early to carry on their league career. I just think that, you know, if things had stayed the same, you never know. Jurgen Klinsmann might have been playing up front with Gary Lineker in 94 for Spurs. And imagine that, you know, from Italia 90, then Euro 92, he retires. Klinsmann still goes to Spurs. I just think what a shame that he didn't get the opportunity to play in the Premier League, especially because he's effectively the face of football on terrestrial TV. In yeah. a league that he never, ever played in. And for me, obviously, the, as we have alluded to before, the way it ended for Lineker with England is so disappointing. But even so, I just wish that he could have stepped on the Premier League turf. I think that would have been brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's the Japan move. Like, when you think about it, it's, it's such a... And I'm I'm sure he's had his reason. He's pro- and it's probably been documented that I've never really delved into. It's probably quite an interesting story. But... Because he wasn't old at that point either. He wasn't like a, you know, a mercenary, don't call him a mercenary, but like a move at the end of his career where, oh yeah, I'll get a couple of this, get a couple of seasons out of this, get, you know, earn my final paycheck and then retire. You know, like you say, he was England's number 10. Like he was still in, pretty, not say pomp, but just at the end of his pomp of his career. So it's, you're right. I've never really thought about that. Like Gary Lineker not playing in the Premier League is is kind of a, yeah, it's a strange one. Just feel like it's one of those sliding doors moments that I'd love to have seen happen at that point. Like it's a little bit like if you think about what if Cantona never joined United. Yeah. Stuff yeah. like that, I just think is is crazy to look back on now when you think he never, never ever played. He didn't even come back. I think he was actually linked with Borough at one point. Cool. Ni- Ninety-four. <laughs> yeah. With the other seven hundred and ninety-seven yeah. players that we got linked with when Robson signed. I think they looked at trying to bring him back and play in the first division, but yeah, such a shame he never played in the Premier League. Because I can't even remember where he hurt his toe. Was that in Japan? Did that toe injury come in? I have some memory that he had an existing injury. and then Yeah, I think that's about right. And I remember thinking as a youngster, he's retired because he's got a bad bad toe. All right, okay, yeah, that that, that makes sense in the 90s. (laughs) Ed, can you imagine Gary Lineker? We were saying he never played in the Premier League. I mean, can you imagine that? Um, No, (laughs) I can't actually. But it's like a small window of... Like he yeah. just missed it by like months, but it yeah. seems like a bizarre concept, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, and and perhaps that's a that's a sort of a end of the old and beginning of the new as well. Um, going yeah. to but, uh, um, going to going to Japan was a 
back then it was like, wow, he's going to Japan. I mean, that's that's. But now we'd be like absolutely crucified on Twitter, wouldn't he, as being a mercenary and and all this because he was only. I think he was 32 when he went. As well, yeah. yeah, I think he was 32, 33 when he went to when he went to Japan. So it's not he wasn't, you know, he wasn't desperately old, but he obviously went for a, a decent payday. Um, of course, it was probably to experience new things, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, yeah. But you know, he was obviously getting a fair whack. But yeah, they, do you remember they think it's all over the the, the uh, panel show? Oh, of course, the, uh, of BBC. They used to absolutely rib him for his. Uh, Toe, toe injury, didn't they? All the time, yeah. This, this, yeah, it's just a bruised toe, basically. Yeah, so, so yeah. Even thinking of going in with a shirt and a Premier League patch on it is is like kind of weird. Yeah, that's not even can't even comprehend that. No, to like... be honest, Gary Lineker's Gary Lineker's Premier League exposure <laughs> is is as a pundit and then later yeah. on as a as a presenter. Face as, as as Rob said, as the face of match of the day. Yeah, no, absolutely. One to think about, and like he could. So who would he replaced in that advert? Yeah, instead of Golden Jury, it would have been Gary Lineker. <laughs> yeah, mate, no offense to Golden Jury, but you know, profile players come. I think Gary Lineker would have been better in the alarm kicking out. But um, Ed, what was your low point or disappointment from 1992? Um, not too many disappointments from 1992, Ash, or the 90s in general. I've always find it hard to to pick True. something. Um, so I'm going to go with <clears throat> so. When you're sort of nine or ten or whatever, you don't you don't really have an idea of about politics. And even now in my fortieth year, I probably don't I probably I probably don't have much idea about politics. So yeah. David Meller, I didn't really know who David Meller was yeah. in nineteen ninety two. Uh but he left the cabinet in nineteen ninety two. And the reason I've brought this up is because the news interrupted neighbours and I just remember being really disappointed that that had happened. Um, so that is my low point of 1992 well, that I missed. Football. You're just talking about David oh. Miller. And... Yeah, well, David, I mean, David Miller's slightly connected to football, isn't he? In the it, fact that... It's the story that he left because of something he did infidelity-wise and he wore yes. Chelsea socks while he was yes, doing that's, it. That, that's, is that, is ex- that is exactly it, yeah. So, um, so yes, it is a bit of a... <laughs> It's a bit of a strange connection to 1992 that I've picked this, but it was just, it was, I was, I was flicking through some 1992 stuff and I looked at it and thought, oh yeah, I remember that. And it interrupted neighbours. So I thought I'd be slightly different by um, mentioning that. I mean, you know, turning over from Annalise to watch David <laughs> Meller is, is not, is kind of going from, you know, it's not to be all lads, 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 but it is kind of going from one extreme, one extreme to the other. It was a bit early. Do you think? Mm, I'd have to check that. Oh, I, I, I reckon. I reckon. On a, on yeah. That one. yeah, I reckon I'm right. But all right. Um, but yeah. So yeah, I mean, 1992 was was full of you know different things. I mean, a low point of 92. Hmm. See, low point in football. Some people would say low point in football in 92 was the fact that Vinnie Jones brought out a video um, to show oh, how to um, how to kick the absolute living daylights out of people. I had that video and I bloody loved it. To be okay, honest, yeah. my um, my mum, my mum had to. I was in the shop with my mum. Um, might have been Smiths or something, and she had to buy it like for me. Yeah. Um, because that. because it was a fifteen. Yeah. It was an actual fifteen because there was some violent acts in it essentially and, and sort of teaching you and the thing is and they say about you know how professional footballers now impact on kids as a day you know how they treat referees and stuff and sometimes you read it and think yeah that's a load of nonsense and then when I look back I think pretty sure in the next school match it was a cold day and I trod on someone's toe and and I got that from I got that from Vinnie Jones so yeah 
it's funny you mentioned the video. I remember trying to buy Do I Not Like That on VHS. Yeah. From, with some birthday money or some Christmas money in our price in Woolwich. I was yeah. with my mum, but I said, oh, no, I'll, you know, feeling all bold and brave. I was like, I'll go up to the counter and do it. And our price used to have really high counters. I don't know why. No, that's just because you're really small. I'm really small, I know. But even then, I thought that was high. But it was a, it was a 15 because there's obviously so much swearing in Do I Not Like That that I, I then wasn't allowed to buy it. And I had to run back out the shop and say, mum, can you buy this video for me? But, yeah, so I had that same ex- experience. I, I doubt David Mellon makes much of an impression in your book, Rob. You know what? I think that's a bit of an oversight on my behalf. <laughs> uh, if I do get to do a, a second edition, maybe I can do an updated version yeah. with a David Mellon. I, will, chapter. I wouldn't. I, I'm not no, sure. Maybe we leave that out. If, if you do an updated version, could you update me on what happened on Neighbours on that afternoon? No, because they cut. They... Elise was actually in that episode. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I'll finish on my high, which is unusual. That I finish, but um, oh hello. But I will. Um, I'll finish on it, and it kind of ties into the show. Um, we were talking about this, weren't we, uh, on, on our WhatsApp group, Ed, and I'm not going to pick the obvious from, because 1992 holds a massive high, well, two personally. Firstly, the first day of the year, I think there was a game on New Year's Day, ITV the match, maybe at Old Trafford, maybe Dennis Bailey got a hat-trick, maybe I've mentioned it before, so I'm not going to delve into that and annoy everyone once again. But you I, just literally just did that. Oh, I could have got. Oh, I could have told you more about it where I was. Watching yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I'm not going to go into that. And I'm, I'm, I could say my first game as well. My my night to see was my first game, so that is the biggest high that you can ever imagine. Both internationally, I saw England, France at Wembley. Shearer and Lineker played up front together, and, and by the end of the year, I went to see QPR v Everton, Sinton Hattrick, blah blah blah. Um, but my high, and this is a little bit self indulgent, is the whole birth alive and kicking of, of the Premier League because I was so excited as a kid um i didn't get the greed i didn't get the money all i saw was you know i was the perfect age the perfect kind of not customer because i wasn't paying but kind of mine to impress that we've got this new shot it's not just the first division with a new name no 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 this is all new and shiny and here's this advert and i mean that advert i've talked about ad nauseum i've named a podcast after it obviously um i we did a series over the summer where I tried to track down these players as well. And because that advert meant so much, I was so excited by it. And just seeing, you know, the, the image of all those players together with and with the kits that I'm wearing, this jumper I'm wearing as well, it's kind of those kits, I still say, 92, 93, the best kit overall selection has ever been in English football. I think every kit almost is a banger. Um, from that year I, and it, I just watched that over and over again and when I was doing the Alive and Kicking book originally all I wanted was that image I hadn't seen that image for years and luckily kindly the people at Sky agreed to let's use the image and send I remember opening that image on my computer so it must have been I don't know 18 years later after I'd, after it was all everywhere and I'd seen it and, on that and I was I just sat at my desk like like a little kid at Christmas like I can't believe hadn't seen this image now it's on twitter every day because someone will post it going oh do you, can you name all these players and he's like yeah i can yeah um, <laughs> I've done it like a hundred times yeah we can everyone can and everyone thinks it's a novelty but so yeah i mean that's kind of my high just being so excited and and sky fueled it i must admit just and because keep you up a part of it as well andy sinton again i've mentioned was our guy in monday night football watching super sunday and the you know the graphics it sky did a great job of taking that commercialism and turning it up to go, look what we can do. Like the match has some great, you know, the big match has some great feels because I remember watching it with Elton Wellsby and the music and stuff. But Sky just went, yeah, 
let's turn this up a notch. You know, let's have a four hour build up on a Sunday. It just all that is such a high and it may have gone the other end now. But it was too, it got too overexposed. I don't know. It's an argument for another day. But that summer going into that season, I was so excited. And I guess, Rob, that a lot of that feeds into the, the narrative of, of your book. Yeah, because it could have gone wrong. Yeah. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a guarantee that it was going to be a massive success. A lot of the talk that was around that time was about a European Super League initially, but Mr Berlusconi obviously had his fingertips all over that. And, you know, around the time they were trying to make this breakaway league, it was to improve English football generally, and it could have gone wrong. It might not have worked, and the teams and the television might not have clicked as well as they did. Obviously, around that time, teams were just given Sky access to anything because they wanted to fill time with their players to get their fans in the stadium, to do all different kinds of stuff. But it really, really worked. I mean, maybe sumo wrestlers at halftime didn't work. Maybe cheerleaders <laughs> didn't work. Fireworks, yeah, maybe. But once the clubs started to realise that they had this big product that they could start investing that money in, I mean, it just it just flew, didn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah that, that's, I mean, the cheerleaders and the sumo wrestlers were ridiculous. But at the time, I remember the sticker book in 94 had stickers mm-hmm. of cheerleaders and John Salako next to Anne Walker. Like they took over so much of all that. And it was, you're right. I remember reading what gamble it was to, to do it because I spent so much money on it. But it's a gamble that obviously, you know, 30 years later has, has very much paid off. But uh, were you excited as me, Ed? Alive and kicking? You have to say yes because you're part of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, fully paid up uh, member of the uh, 1992 club. Um, yeah, I mean, I was excited. I think you can. I think you can see from uh, even when you look back at footage, actually, you can see like the difference in the in the, the kits and the style of football and stuff. It, it, Put in the score in the top corner. Yeah, Put in the oh, score in the top yeah. Corner. I know. It just everything just seemed to change. Everything did seem to change overnight. Even in the even in the, the course of three months, everything looked different. I don't know whether I just looked back at that time because I know there's a split between the the leagues. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it just it all just seemed very very exciting, didn't it? Um. You know, suddenly there was made a lot more sort of influx of of money, and you know the the, the the you know more foreign players started to come in. Um. There wasn't many, of course, on the first day of the season, but you know after a while it. it you know, it really took off on that regard, and you were seeing players from from all over the world. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, I just I find I found the whole Premier League thing very exciting. The Sky stuff. I mean, this, remember you obviously you said there about the um, the score in the corner. Mm. Um, my dad used to hate that. <laughs> yeah, right. My dad really hated that, and um, we didn't have Sky in the first Premier League season. But um, friends of ours did. So if there was like a really big game on, they used to invite us around. So we used to go. And every time we went around there, without fail, my dad would go, do you mind, do you think you can get rid of that? If there's a button you can press to get rid of that score thing. Whereas now, you know, you wouldn't be without it. If it's missing, yeah, it's gone the other way. If it's missing, you're like, where's the, where's the time gone? Where's the, you know, you just used to rely on a, a little clock appearing every five yeah, minutes right, every or so. Door. 10 minutes to come up at the bottom, didn't they? Yeah. People get annoyed yeah, but... if companies move it to the bottom corner. Like, they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. It no, needs top, to be yeah, yeah, top, top left. left. Yeah, top, top left, left, yeah. <laughs> without, without, without that. As you look at the screen, top left. So, yeah, the Premier just, yeah, it was, uh, that's a great, obviously, it's the main high, isn't it, of 92, is the... But, yeah, it's not just the, even the, the launch of it. It's, it's just the whole kind of feel of what it was. You know, it wasn't the fact that, oh, the Premier League here. It's just how it was done. It's such a... 
iconic and why we still talk about it, why I still get all the feels thinking about that advert and the way it was produced. And as, as I tweeted at the beginning of the of the season, I think Sky should have, as it was 30 years, bang on. The super, the first Super Sunday, I know the fixture list and it's kind of impossible to do that. If they could somewhere had Nottingham Forest, since they were back, versus Liverpool and done like a retro, here we go, here we been, you know, feed into us. We're here. We're the people now paying for your like rights. We're now the, the people paying the money. I would have loved that. But okay. I can't. I can't believe Sky and the Premier League didn't get together to to satisfy your need there. I really. I, I'm, there is I'm, the, I'm, there you know, panel at the Premier League because if not, I need to. Be, I need to head up this new department. Yeah. <laughs> um, which and you could be my two uh, head honchos on that for sure. Um, Rob, we yeah. talked a lot about 1992. Um, tell us about the book where we can get it um, for everyone else. Yes, yeah, so the book's available to pre-order now from anywhere you get your books. It is out on the 27th of March, so not too long away. Um, it's through Pitch Publishing as well, so they've got some amazing uh, football books on their website about a whole massive raft of uh, topics. Um, but this one, yeah, 27th of March, it's out. You can pre-order it now on Amazon and anywhere else you get them from. Um, yeah, so it was, it was a joy to write. It's, it's great to talk about it, and hopefully people have that little bit of nostalgia when they look back at it, but also maybe some new details and some new information that they might not have um, might not have known about. And there's a Twitter feed as well, so people can follow the book on the Twitter feed, can't they? Where, where's that? Yeah, that's at 92 Football Book. I'm the one who's always posting that picture of the 92-93 Premier League advert picture. <laughs> You're not the only <laughs> one. Although you did post the picture of the league ladders, which went down very yes. well. Yes, that was a good one. Good. People love the league. They still exist. Buy Kick Magazine. Yes. It's not just a <laughs> 90s thing. <laughs> I'm just about to say, uh, Ed, where can people, they want to talk about 92 or David Meller or Awuga, where can they find you? <laughs> they can find us at Tavern Football. Thank you very much, Ashley. Who's your next legend at lunchtime or are you not going to reveal? Uh, my next legend at lunchtime is going to be the person that I decided it will be in the next <laughs> four and a half minutes uh, because uh, you think I was uh, I was more organised, but I'm not. And I think that's the beauty of it, actually. Annalise, can we not do Possibly. that? Possibly yeah. that might be Friday's one. Might be Friday. <laughs> That's a weekend thing. Yeah. Uh, follow the show, of course, at AK90s on Twitter as well. And we'll be back soon. Um, the only thing I was going to quickly say to you, Rob, is you, you kept mentioning that early 90s Middlesbrough team. And I had this random uh, memory of a 3 3 draw with QPR and Borough that season. I don't know if you remember that. I think I think Paul Wilkinson played and John Hendry that team that kept coming into my mind. Great game. Yeah, Wilkinson scored quite a lot of goals. He was just a big beanpole striker yeah. in cycling shots. Yeah, I had I had a book when I was younger. Like um, I don't know where it came from. I think someone gave it to me. And it was like it, it was like mini interviews with a player from each of the top flight. I think Paul Wilkinson was Middlesbrough guy. And they literally it was like a it's like almost like a CV that they filled in, and mm. it was almost like at home with them. I've got it somewhere still. I'm supposed to put it. I think it's more. I think it's made. Sure have. <laughs> Of course I have. I don't throw it like my, as my wife will tell you. <laughs> yeah. throw anything. It's probably down there. So <laughs> yeah, I've just got visions of your house being full of like old newspapers from nineteen nineties, like everywhere, and your wife just trying to sort of wander around the living room trying to find a chair to sit on. Andy <laughs> Andy Sinton just pops out the wardrobe every round. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's where right, Dennis Bailey's right, been all this time. So, yeah, right. Thank you very much, gents. We'll be back again soon talking more 90s nonsense. But until next time, keep it 90s. Love.